Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath, your host. I'm a registered nurse, a clinician, blogger, researcher, author, speaker, <laughs> uh, exhausted. <laughs> How are you? So glad you're, uh, you've joined me here tonight. I have Matt at the helm as well. He's uh, taking care of the music and your calls. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Give me a call. Uh, many of you have. And uh, just before the break, John called, actually, and he spoke about erectile function and or sexual desire after his radical prostatectomy. So I just wanted to mention that uh, a radical prostatectomy, for those of you who don't know, is an operation to remove the prostate gland and some of the tissue around it. It is done to remove prostate cancer. And this operation may be done by open surgery or may be done by laparoscopic surgery through smaller incisions. But inevitably, men have problems with erectile function as well as bladder uh, function as well. So they may end up with leakage of urine. But that was not John's question. John's question was what to do about erectile dysfunction after uh, uh, after radical prostatectomy. And so my suggestion to him was penile rehabilitation, which is uh, basically commencing PD-5 inhibitor medication, which is Viagra, Levitra, Cialis, or Staxin, fairly immediately after surgery, having nothing to do with somebody with whether somebody is ready for sex or not. But the the theory around it is, or the hypothesis is that that will increase blood flow because these nerves have been uh, deprived of oxygen through the blood flow, and a person has a flaccid penis. Uh, the the nerves aren't fed; they're poorly oxygenated. So the Viagra increases is a vasodilator or the, or the, any one of them, the Cialis or Levitra, is a vasodilator, increases blood flow, thereby bringing oxygenated blood to the nerves and, and the tissues, and that will help uh, to return to a, a better function. One thing you have to think about when you have had uh, prostate surgery is what was your erectile function like before the surgery? So you can't expect to go back to what it was like when you were a teenager. So really, most men starting at age 40 will have some degree of erectile dysfunction. So you want to know that as well. You're not going to go back to, um, you know, hard as a rock, basically. But we can get you back to uh, something better. But that's a combination of using the one of those medications, so Viagra, Levitra, Cialis, Staxin, in addition to or or using intracavernosal injection as well. So it's either the oral medication or it's an injection into the penis. And it and that injection is a tri what we call a trimix of fentyl fentolamine, pepaverine, and prostaglandin. Or there's another uh, quadrimixture which adds atropine to that as well. And so that will help to vasodilate. There are, of course, side effects to both of these, and they are priapism. So you may have a, an erection longer than four hours. Uh, there can be some bleeding or some bruising with the um, injections. In addition to that, uh, there's, there's use of a vacuum pump as well. And um, and so that helps to also bring blood flow to the penis, and and that's very important. And you need to actually 
uh, work with your doctor in terms of um, this rehabilitation program, or it's largely sexual health clinicians, sexual health nurses that um, educate you on the oral medication or the penile injection. You, the patient, is trained to inject medication into your penis to prompt an erection, or they may choose a suppository, which is Muse. Uh, pellets of medicine are inserted into your urethra, and that's the tube that allows urine and semen to exit your body. And then we add to that a vacuum erection device, which is a clear plastic cylinder that's placed over your penis, and then the, you use that pump to draw out the air, creating a vacuum, and then that leads to an erection. This is something that needs to be done daily, two or three times a day sometimes. I've, I've had uh, men as young as mid-40s use this, um, that, that had a flaccid penis after a prostatectomy, absolutely nothing, and um, were able to return to a sex life. It also involves, um, because they were able to get erections, it also involves uh, engaging in sex, so actually being intimate, being aroused, um, and and attempting sex. So that's also part of the penile rehabilitation program. So um, if you want to ha- ha- want to get any more information about that, you can email me sextalk at cknw dot com. At the moment, I have David on the line. Hello, David. Yes, hello, Maureen. I listen to you every Sunday. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I'm in a gay relationship on and off for 23 years. The same relationship for on and off for 23 years, or? Yes, with uh, my friend, um, Wayne. Okay. Uh, like, he satisfies, us, he satisfies me, I beg your pardon, actually, but when it's my turn, he seems to prefer that I not satisfy him. Oh, interesting. I'm 66, he's 43, or 44, I beg your pardon. So I was just um, wanting to know how, like, that didn't happen 20 years ago, but it's happening now. So when you say he doesn't want you to please him, has has he got low sexual desire? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, I, I certainly think so. You know, uh, which I meant to mention, if I, I'm, you were on the line, so you're probably listening to um, the penile rehabilitation program, which I, I, wanted, I didn't want to forget, and I did forget to mention testosterone levels. But I'm so glad that you called because uh, it gave me the opportunity to uh, mention it. Testosterone level is important in erectile function as well. And so a man who's experiencing erectile dysfunction will need to have a... Uh, because those medications, Viagra, Levitra, and Cialis, only work in a testosterone-rich environment. Now, your Wayne may have low testosterone as well, perhaps. Yes. There's a number of reasons, because a man can should have a baseline testosterone level drawn at age 40. I suspect it's the antipsychotic drugs that the oh, well, that, has him on. That was the next thing, was that... Um, that mental illness or depression or medications can also lead to uh, low sexual desire uh, in in a person. Oh, that's seemingly what may have taken place because... Um, Has he recently been prescribed those? Oh, no. He's been on them for like, oh my, close to two years at least. Okay, but when did his sexual dysfunction begin to occur? Was it okay two years ago? Um, I can't rightly recall. I would say no. No. And, um, and also are the medications working for him? Uh, yes. He's to take an injection every two weeks with a psychiatrist, with a a nurse. Okay. Okay. So that definitely could have an impact on his libido for sure. Uh Uh-huh. 
and so then is there any kind of like I take Cialis but is there anything I can uh, like suggest for him well the thing is really getting to the root of the problem uh, so you, you have to have confirmation that that is what is causing his low libido so I used to take him to our psychiatrist now perhaps I can take him to him where I'm going to get a psychologist you could do that, or you may want to take him to a sex therapist, actually. Oh. Because sex therapists can deal with this. This is this is right up a sex therapist's alley. Maybe I could call you later and ask you how much you charge and all that kind of thing. <laughs> sure. Or there's, I could recommend, you can email me, sextalk at cknw.com, and I can, um, you know, give you the name of some sex therapist as well, or, or you're welcome to come and see me also. But really getting that diagnosis is key so that um, then... There's, there can be some uh, treatment recommendations. I've been after um, him for months and months, and he seems to just accept it. And I'm not the kind of person that accepts things that well. Right, exactly. And, you know, he is going to have to be the one that makes the decision to make that change. You know, we, we can't we can lead a horse to water, can't make him drink. You can't change somebody else. You can change yourself, but you can't change somebody else. So yeah, yeah, when you change, true. they might change, but... Um, yes. I try to set a good example, but I'm not always. Well, we all do. Well, uh, well it's great that you called, and uh, at least, you know, you're trying to look into it. And But looking, you know, a, a sexual health assessment and a differential diagnosis would be really helpful. And then some recommendations could be made to increase um, uh, the, the sexual play, perhaps, or increase, do some different things in the bedroom that might make the two of you feel better. Okay, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Maureen. All right, you're welcome, and thanks for listening. Okay, when I get back, I'm going to talk to you about responsiveness in a relationship and how does that improve your sex life. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I'm Maureen McGrath. I'm your host, and that is a great song uh, to lead into what I want to talk to you about, the, the Male patients, the the several male patients that turned up in my office with exactly the same problem this week, all of them, they all complained of erectile dysfunction. And they I had to I had to be tough. I had to be straight up. It w- it's not easy. Years ago when I started working in this field, uh, one of the doctors that I worked with said to me, never tell a patient they have to lose weight. And I said, OK, I won't being the good girl that I am. Uh, I thought he said, number one, they're never going to. And and number two, you know, it's just it's just not right. And I thought, OK, had a lot of respect for this guy. Still do to this day. Great guy. And um, so I didn't do it. And about four or five years ago, I thought better of this. <laughs> do you have something to say, Matt? Yeah. Well, after <laughs> working hand with up. you for a couple months now, you're always talking about how exercise and not drinking as much alcohol have been is important in your sexual life. And I've been doing that and I feel great. I'm drinking less. I'm working out more. I'm riding my bike to work instead wow. of getting transit. So it does work. It does and work. And I have Who to knew? say, anyone that tells you you should not tell people to lose weight or to be exercised, to exercise and be fit. That's nonsense. Exactly. And you're you're quite trim. So, you know, you could have just thought, I could I'm turn trim. sideways and fall down a crack. It doesn't necessarily exactly. mean that I'm very healthy, but I'm feeling healthy now. Oh, well, that's great. Well, you never know who's listening, even the guy under <laughs> under the microphone over there, but through the glass wall. 
Um, you know, so about four or five years ago, I started telling people in a in the most respectful and diplomatic way possible that perhaps weight was the issue. And and so now I'm quite comfortable with it. And I often say to people, listen, if you come and see me, I'm straight up. I tell it like it is. I, you know, no beating around the bush here. Uh, and uh, so I I did tell, you know, all of them came in. They all had the same complaint. Uh, a couple of them were divorced. One was divorced twice. One was divorced once. The other one was in a relationship. Um, and another one was in a relationship. And of course, they were having erectile dysfunction. And of course, they weren't having as much sex as they wanted to because, yeah, a flaccid penis is so attractive. We love that. Anyway, um, so I had to tell them all that they, by the, by the fourth or fifth one, you know, it was, you know, it was pretty easy that they would have to lose weight. And, and I said, you know, you, you've probably come in here expecting some magic fix from me, but here's the deal. And uh, you're not going to like this, but, you know, measuring their abdominal girth, taking their blood pressure, all of them had elevated blood pressure. All of them had blood pressure above 120 over 80. Your blood pressure should not be uh, higher than 120 over 80, okay? You should know your number as well. Know those two numbers. Many people will say, I'll ask them, how's your blood pressure? They'll say, oh, it's fine. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, it was like 80. I'm like, well, first of all, it's two numbers, and um, that doesn't give me enough information. So I take their blood pressure, measure their abdominal girth, measure their weight, ask for their height, do a BMI just as a measure, um, just to get a basic idea of approximately how much weight they have to lose. I mean, I was telling guys they had to lose 50, 60, 80 pounds uh, this week because sex is about blood flow and it's so dangerous to have this large girth. And the other thing is they were complaining that they actually weren't having that much sex in their lives, in their long-term relationships, and that their wives were, you know, maybe had mentioned their paunch, it's not attractive. I, I'm going to be honest. Uh, it's, you know, people can lose sexual desire. Somebody that they once had desire for, uh, body image, yes, for a person. You know, you can say, oh, body image doesn't matter. Yes, be comfortable with yourself, but be happy with yourself and be healthy and and understand, how do I say this diplomatically, that a paunch is pretty unattractive. And so if you're, if you're, wife or your girlfriend or the guy in your life tells you that your uh, paunch is a little too big and it's a turnoff, it's a turnoff. Listen to them. (laughs) Believe me, it is a turnoff. And so all of the guys, I'm happy to say, all left the office. You know, none of them hit me. (laughs) None of them were upset. They all were glad. They were happy to hear it. They knew their numbers. They had something to work toward. Guys are problem solvers, as we all know. And so they were all happy to solve this problem. So I was quite happy about that as well. So it wasn't Viagra that I suggested. In fact, to all of them, I said, you're not going to need Viagra. You're not going to need, they were disappointed. They wanted the four hour erection. No, they, they were not, they're not, I predict that none of them will need, because I have so much experience with this. And I've seen so many uh, men with exactly the same problem. They're overweight, they eat unhealthily, they don't exercise, they're not sleeping well. Uh, They have lots of uh, issues, and uh, they just need to get back to a healthy lifestyle. And I think they'll all have better erection function, and they'll have more sexual desire, and they may actually have more sex. But if that's not your problem, 
you know, there is a new study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that long-term couples can reignite the spark and have better sex by one simple means, and that is by being responsive to each other. The research showed that partners who were responsive to one another outside of the bedroom were able to maintain their sexual desire. The They define responsiveness as a type of intimacy that signals when one is really informed and concerned about the welfare of the romantic partner. The second you are no longer concerned about the welfare of your romantic partner, the second things are going down. Uh, But these researchers worked to address what is commonly known as the intimacy desire paradox, and that can be very problematic uh, for couples. The concept that intimate and familiar relationships kill desire in trade-off, in a trade-off for the need for security. And this clashes with the sense of novelty and uncertainty that is often linked with desire. You know, always in a relationship, you've, you've got to always keep them guessing. So there were 100 couples that were recruited for a series of three experiments that examined whether responsiveness could instill desire for one's partner. The couples also kept a diary for six weeks as a way to record their own level of sexual desire each day, as well as their perceptions of their partner's responsiveness. They reported their own levels of feeling special and perceptions of their partner's mate value. So in the first experiment, uh, participants were led to believe they would interact online with their partner, when in reality, they actually interacted with a responsive or an unresponsive research assistant. And the second experiment, the researchers had the participants interact face-to-face with their partner, and the judges coded their displays of responsiveness along with sexual desire. And then lastly, the experiment, ex- the third experiment examined the mechanisms un- underlying the responsive desire link. So when responsiveness was present, couples felt special and thought their partner was a valuable mate. And that led to a boost in sexual desirability. So being responsive, that means listening, you know, listening to what the other person has to say. Partner responsiveness had a significantly stronger effect on women's perceptions of themselves and others. And it suggested that women experience higher levels of sexual desire for their responsive partner because they were more likely than men to feel special and value their partner because of this responsiveness. So that's important. When a mate is truly responsive, the relationship feels special and unique, and he or she is perceived as valuable and desirable and that is important. And this study underscores some of the other research that has been done on love and marriage that shows the decline of romantic love over time is inevitable. And of course, the butterflies of early romance no longer flutter away. But it's all about how you interact with your partner and how you value your partner. So take the time to reinvent date night and also send those texts and do novel and arousing things together to feel better about your relationship. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath, your host, a registered nurse. Matt Hyland is at the helm here. Uh, he's the techie. 
behind the scenes, and I had an email that said, uh, Dear Maureen, great show tonight. Also, compliments to the sound tech. So that's you, Matt. Oh, well, I'm blushing, guys. I said you would be very happy with that. You are far too young, of course, to have a midlife crisis, but just in case you do, you'll know the warning signs. Often it can be associated uh, with uh, the last child moving out of the home. The term midlife crisis was coined in 1965 by Dr. Elliot Jacques, a Canadian psychoanalyst, to describe the challenges during the normal period of transition and self-reflection many adults experience between the ages of 40 and 60. So it's associated with hot red sports cars and much younger women for men. Um, During these years, adults may commonly question who they are in this world and in their lives, what their purpose is, and how they've used their time thus far. They may get hair plugs. uh, They may do all sorts of things. But the, the questions are often triggered by the realization of the passage of time or changes that occur with the physical body, such as erectile dysfunction or a health scare or vaginal dryness, for example, or the diminished ability to perform certain physical tasks. So you may think that it's all, you know, uh, a great time. Somebody's really uh, revisiting their youth or whatever. But there's a couple of signs and symptoms that have come out of some research out of the Mayo Clinic that you may not associate with a midlife crisis. And they are eating, the change in eating and sleeping habits or feeling tired and run down or also feelings of pessimism and hopelessness. So Uh, These are some of the symptoms, along with feeling anxiety or irritability, a loss of interest in activities that you once enjoyed, including sex and other hobbies, if you think of sex as a hobby. Um, Maybe some people may experience suicidal thoughts or may attempt suicide at this time of their lives. People may also experience physical symptoms such as headaches or other physical aches or pains that don't respond to treatment. So, Some of the suggestions from the Mayo Clinic, stay active, of course. A lot of these symptoms sound a bit like neurotransmitters out of whack or depression. Um, So you want to stay active, go for daily walks and get some fresh air, which is what I told my guys with their erectile dysfunction, all between the ages of 40 and 60, I might add. Told them all to lose weight, walk every single day, um, start to get healthier, get better sleep, stay social, stay engaged with friends and family, meditate. That's really important, especially before you masturbate. No, meditate before you work out. There's a new study uh, as well that shows that there that's uh, very beneficial for depression. And actually maybe uh, get trained in yoga. So that's something else that um, one can do also. So don't be afraid of that mid-like, midlife crisis. Um, you know, what's the alternative? <laughs> uh, it's as the Irish say, you're better to look at the ground, uh, look at the grass from, from up above <laughs> than below, so, and something like that. I haven't got that uh, straight. But also, 30% of Canadian men are not getting enough sleep. That's according to a new study by the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. One third of Canadian men are sleep deprived, clocking four to six hours of sleep every night instead of the recommended seven to eight. That's almost half. Uh, The survey was done for 500 Canadian men between the ages of 30 and 49. So if you are between those ages, pay attention. Nearly half of the subjects in the study said they woke up feeling tired instead of refreshed. That is a surefire sign that you're not getting enough sleep. Sleep deprivation can be a factor in a number of health problems. People who get less than five hours of sleep a night are generally about 60% 
increased risk of a heart attack over the course of their lifespan. People who get less than six hours of sleep are 50% more likely to develop type 2 diabetes or 33% more likely to develop prostate cancer. There needs to be more awareness of sleep disorders like sleep apnea. You need to get sleep apnea treated. That's a big factor in interrupting your sleep. It'll place you at greater risk for a heart attack. It's also a big trigger for erectile dysfunction. So sleep is so important. And the the author in this study blamed technology for uh, men getting less shut-eye. Men are bringing computers into bed instead of women or other men, uh, whoever you want to bring into the bed, sometimes two or three. Uh, but a lot of what they saw in the survey is that technology was a big part of what's cutting into their sleep. That's watching Netflix, browsing on the internet, uh, checking your phone. These things didn't exist uh, hundreds of years ago, when the country went dark, you went to bed. But now there are so many stimulants, including stimulants, coffee, um, Red Bull, all of those energizer drinks, all of that contributes to it. So you want to avoid anything that would be considered a stimulant, which is the internet, television, coffee, cigarettes, cigars, Tipperillo, uh, even exercise, although sex is not considered a stimulant in this case because it releases endorphins that help you to sleep. So you might want to have sex before you go to bed. Finish eating about an hour before you go to bed. Don't have any spicy foods. Uh, put your phone on airplane mode because then you won't be, um, it won't interrupt you. Like mine lights up whenever I get a message. <laughs> so it would be brutal. Fortunately, I sleep, sleep like a rock. So uh, nothing can wake me up. But uh you know, you don't want to be checking on those messages. So sleep is vital. It's important for your sexual health. It's important for your heart health. Uh, so get some sleep. Sweet dreams, guys. And uh, when I come back, you might be uh, dreaming of some other things. And I'm going to talk about fantasy and the surprising things science has showed uh, shown us about sexual fantasy. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I'm Maureen McGrath. If you have a question for me, give me a call. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Happy to answer any questions you have about love, life, relationships, sex, sexual fantasies, which I'll be covering very shortly. Uh, Stay tuned as well. I'm going to give you some tips for improving your sex life and also going to talk about masturbation and how to make that better as well. as though you guys aren't expert at it already. Uh, Sexual fantasy is one of the most interesting topics in the field of human sexuality, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, But who am I? I just host a radio sex show. Uh, You know, we don't talk about sexual fantasy. People are ashamed of their fantasies. People are, they don't want to have them often, and yet it can enhance a relationship so much. You just have to make sure you're not telling the person you're with that you're fantasizing about somebody else. Uh, just uh, that might uh, kill the moment, as they as they say. Research has found some pretty reliable gender differences in the content of men's and women's sexual fantasies, such as men's greater tendency to have fantasies featuring explicit sexual content, and get this, multiple partners. (laughs) What a shocker. Uh, However, the fantasies do not appear to differ based on sexual orientation, aside from the sex of the person that you are fantasizing about. 
Gays and lesbians have fantasies that are pretty similar in content to their heterosexual counterparts. Also, several studies have found that most people, about 98%, report having had sexual fantasies before. The number one sexual fantasies, fantasy for women is to be lightly tied up. That surprises women, but, um, but that's what it is according to the science. Fantasizing is something that most of us do. I'll never forget, I was educating a group of physicians and we were at uh, Trattoria. I think that was the restaurant or the Italian kitchen, one of them. Anyway, and uh, I said, fantasy is normal, it's healthy, it's key. And at the end of the lecture, shall we say, one of the doctors stood up. He said, I'm so glad to find out that fantasy is normal. I'm going to fantasize the whole way home. Uh, It can be really helpful and uh, especially if you're in a long-term relationship, uh, fantasizing about somebody else, as fantasizing about somebody else as opposed to having sex with somebody else may be safer in your relationship. The frequency with which women have sexual fantasies appears to vary throughout the menstrual, menstrual cycle. What doesn't vary with our menstrual cycle? Uh, women appear to have a peak in fantasies around the time of ovulation, but not only does the frequency of fantasies appear to change, the content may change as well. So they may be more frequent and it may be more varied and uh, a little bit more fun. Uh, There is such a thing called rape fantasies uh, and people feel terrible about those. But um, also there's some fantasies about forced sex. They are common amongst men and women as well as persons of different sexual orientations. So those are common as well. Um, another relatively common fantasy among both men and women is watching one's partner have sex with someone else. This is known as cuckolding. We've certainly addressed that subject on this show in the past. Um, but sometimes it's just a fantasy when you're imagining it. Among people in romantic relationships, fantasizing about someone other than your partner is normal. It's normative behavior, according to science. And most men and women... Uh, in relationships report that they at least occasionally fantasize about someone other than their current partner. I mean, some people have never had sex with the same person for a decade or two in their mind. (laughs) And I'm not suggesting you have sex with the same person for the rest of your life either. In your mind, this is very helpful to increase sexual desire uh, in a relationship. But the content of our sexual fantasies appears to reflect the degree to which we currently feel insecure. So when we're insecure, the nature of the fantasies may change in ways that are designed to protect our sexual self-esteem such as including more themes of independence would be an example. So so remember, fantasy is key. It's important. Shake it up a bit. It won't get you in any sort of trouble whatsoever. Uh, it's something that uh, you can do safely. So uh, masturbation, <laughs> we're going to get to that, that little love glove. That's your right hand, perhaps. <laughs> you know it, the one that's worn out, burns. Uh, no, Of course, I'm kidding. This was prompted by a question that I had on Facebook today, and I promised the guy, and I I told him to listen tonight, because uh, I said I would cover not this, but the next question, where it led to. But he said his ex-wife says she doesn't and never masturbated. He said it was hard for him to believe, but he was curious. Do some women not, or are they lying? About, according to, you know, you're going to get different numbers according to what research study you look at, but about 92% 
of women have masturbated at some point in their life. But not all women masturbate and not all women masturbate all along their life. So 157% of men masturbate. And um, But anyway... <laughs> I digress. So this then went on to his question about, and if you have any questions for me, call me 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Otherwise, I'll I'll carry on here. Um, <laughs> uh, this went on to, he's obviously separated. And uh, so he basically... Uh, I, I assumed that sex was a problem and, and the catalyst for the, the relationship to have split up, I, I assumed wrong. Uh, he, he said it that he and his ex-wife always did have a problem with sex, um, but it was because it always it only occurred before they went to bed. Well, some guys would absolutely love that, that it, would, that it occurred at all. But um, he felt she was strange emotionally and needed serious therapy. And he mentioned that he had been to three different counselors and since May or so, or five months ago, and uh, had been to several counselors over 49 times. And she had just seen one counselor two times, but she feels she has it all together. And my point to him was it doesn't matter what she thinks or what she feels uh, in this circumstance, it's more important that you address what your contribution to the separation was than what was hers. And that's in any relationship. I never want to hear when I have people who come into my clinical practice and they have split up or they're having problems in the relationship, they always say, well, she did this or he does that or he did this. And I, and I always say, what is your contribution? Even if somebody's had an extramarital affair, even if somebody's been texting or sexting somebody else outside of the relationship, what is your contribution? Is your marriage sexless? Are you not having good sex? Are you not having satisfying sex? Are, are you treating the other, your partner terribly? Anyway, and so this gentleman went on to say, um, I said that it's more important what your contribution is to the separation than what was hers. And he said something, um, he said, agree 100%. Sex wasn't the problem. I did not treat her well. And I thought, there you go. You know what? That was the problem. You did not treat her well. And and you know what? That insight is the only thing that is actually going to help this man heal. The fact that he has this insight and he you know, there's hope that he will not take this into his next relationship or that he actually may be able to uh, reconcile with his ex-wife. He actually knew what he had not done uh, properly. Uh, He didn't treat her well. That's a launch pad. That's a place to begin. That is a great place to begin. And, uh, and so you can never change somebody else, but you can only change yourself. So now I have Mike on the line. Hello, Mike. Hi. I was just wondering, uh, like, how long is it normal to go in a relationship, like, maximum? And I know this obviously, uh, you know, it's person to person, case to case. Uh, but how long is it normal for most average, the average married couple to go without sex? Uh, to go without? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I really think if you're going without sex uh, for a couple of weeks, the the problems may begin. I really think couples together, married couples or living together or whatever, actually should be having sex once or twice a week at least. Well, it's just, um, it's just because I'm a little bit of a younger person and... Uh, it's just I noticed that they speaking with a few of my friends that uh, 
there's a couple different couples that I know that actually go like six months at a time without having sex. I am certain there are. There's hundreds that I know that are going years. You know, when I first started doing this work, it was in research, and it was uh, low sexual desire in women. And these women would come in uh, to enroll in the study, and they would. I would say, how long has it been since you've had sex with your husband, partner, person in the committed relationship? And they would have said a, a year, five years, seven years. And then they always said, but my husband is patient. And I'm like... Wow, <laughs> that's not even true. But, um, you know, they uh, it's very unhealthy. It's not good for a relationship. Uh, people will seek sex outside of the relationship when they are in a sexless relationship. And every six months or not having had sex for six months, you're at great risk for a sexless relationship, which is sex less than 10 times a year. But- it's, just, uh, it's just basically like it seems just kind of odd and funny to me because these couples that I know that are... Uh that are doing quite well and they actually care about each other very much. But like, um, like it's just funny because we're all young. Like I'm young and like other people that I know that are going through this are kind of young. And it's just, I don't like, how do you think sex is like very healthy for a relationship? You know, uh, the, the sexual research that I was talking about, we, it was sexual desire in women between the ages of 24 and 44. And about 45% experienced low sexual desire and only 12% were bothered by it. It's a huge problem, and and it doesn't mean we're, we're definitely not having as much sex as we should, regardless of the age. And in fact, some people have more sex as they get older because they've shed some of the religious issues and some of the vulnerability issues and some of the body image issues. Um, people don't make sex a priority. When you don't make sex a priority, you know, your relationship will suffer. Sure, I understand that. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for the call, Mike. Well, I'm glad to know that somebody out there is having sex. He said he was having sex, right? <laughs> Anyways, friends aren't. What's going on at the Joneses? Well, not much. Anyway, well, we're going to uh we're going to go to break and then we'll come back and wrap this baby up. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I'm Maureen McGrath. I'm your host. I can't believe that, you know, a two-hour show has whipped by in the way that it has. But uh, I, I, uh, I'm i going to have to address some of the uh, ways to help you have a better sex life next week. But uh, I did promise some... Uh, some love glove tips and uh, to make it just a little bit more interesting, masturbation that is. Uh, when you have a penis, masturbating is a pretty straightforward affair. But uh, that doesn't mean you can't mix things up. So a couple of tips from me to you. Go to town on a folded body pillow, but don't forget to wash it, guys. Put some lube inside of your condom for a makeshift masturbation sleeve, one of the most popular sex toys that I have on my website. Next to the Womanizer, of course, that's for the women. Uh, or do it yourself one with a plastic bag lotion and petroleum jelly. So uh, get some hand lotion, mix it with petroleum jelly, put it in a plastic bag. Anyway, that uh, can help shake things up a little bit. Uh, you can always check out some videos online. You can use a vibrator on your um scrotum and your perineum in that area that can be arousing and change things up go hands-free 
uh, face down on your bed. Uh, also, you can self-stimulate anally uh, with a gloved finger or two if you like. Or try some prostate-stimulating toys to add that to the mix. And invest in a fleshlight. That's the best tip ever. I'm going to give out a fleshlight on this show one night. Do you know that I asked Scotty to come back on the show and talk about fleshlights, <laughs> oh, and fan- he agreed. Fantastic. I keep meaning to email him. No, that- I talked to him last time I did his show, and he's like, yeah, I'm there. Just make sure you have a sample, and Excellent. I'm there. Excellent. Okay. Captain Scotty from the Jeff O'Neill Show. Um, so anyway, you can also film yourself if you like. Watch yourself. Uh, getting off. Anyhow, we're going to have to get off this program now before they put me off this program. Uh, so it's been great uh, being here with you once again tonight. And uh, go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. You can also go and watch my uh, TEDx talk on no sex marriage. And by the way, one to two times a week, you know, that's like the minimum, okay? You know, you've got to at least have that. But I'm actually somebody who in a relationship, you need to be having sex seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve times a week, okay? It's got to be one of the most important things for you. But uh, if you're in a no-sex marriage and you're lonely and you're masturbating and there's been cheating and shame, go to YouTube and Google Maureen McGrath, TEDx Stanley Park, uh, and hear my uh, take on that. As well, you can follow me on Twitter at back the number two, the bedroom. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about my new society, the Women's Health Initiative Network, a national not-for-profit organization. We're going to raise awareness about women's health across this country. Don't forget, uh, put your mark your calendars for November 12th for the Vancouver Women's Conference. I'll be there. I hope you'll be there as well. When you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath. You have been listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Thanks and have a lovely, sexually healthy week.